All right. Um, welcome, everybody. Um, my name is Steve Mazak. I'm the software development manager for AWS Code Deploy. And my name is Kvirish Ayal. I'm the product manager of Code Deploy as well. And we're going to talk about application deployment techniques today. So how awesome is it that we're talking about this at the beginning of the week, right? Um, how many of you out there maybe had a time where you ran a project, and it wasn't until you were uh, finished with your project where you actually started about deploying and thought about how you might actually get that software into production, right? I know it's happened to me plenty of times, and uh, you know, I've learned a lot of lessons from that over the years, and that's much about uh, what today's talk is gonna be about, sharing these lessons, how we do it the Amazon way, how we get our code out there in production safely and securely over and over again. We've uh, broken this talk up into two main parts today. Uh, the first part I'm gonna cover is gonna be how to mitigate uh, risk through best practices, and what I'm gonna talk about is like building out your safe release pipeline so that you can deploy quickly and efficiently with a really low risk. Uh, the second part of the talk, I'll bring Kafir back up on stage here, and he's gonna talk about various um, features within Code Deploy, and he's gonna give you some recommendations about how to choose the one that's right for you. Okay. Before we get started, I just want to introduce some terminology. Now, you're probably familiar with all the stuff up here on screen already, uh, but you know, I just wanna make sure that your definition's the same as my definition, find that often I'll be talking about something and find out later that somebody thought you know, I meant something else. So I just want to clear this up so we all are on the same page here. Uh, start with an AWS region. AWS region are, you know, it's a geographical area. Um, we have 16 um, ge uh, regions at this point. Um, they contain each clusters of data centers in them. Those clusters are called availability zones. Each availability zone is architected to withstand physical infrastructure loss. So in the event that anything were to occur, we have high, um, high bandwidth, low latency connections between uh, the different uh, availability zones within a region. This has allowed uh, some of our regional services, such as DynamoDB and Amazon S3, to have very high availability over the years. Next is a stack. Now this is probably the term that maybe is the most overloaded. Um, you may call it an environment or a stage. What I'm gonna to refer to as a stack throughout this slide is the running context of your application. So really what I mean, like everything that makes up uh, your app, all the resources that you need to deploy it, and here, you know, maybe the easiest way to kind of like wrap our heads around it and get all, you know, the shared, um, you know, uh, vocabulary here is just but with the dev test prod uh, layout, right? So I'm gonna to refer to as dev as a stack, uh, and you'll see why in a little bit. The next term, uh, synthetic traffic. So, you know, the word synthetic, it means something that doesn't occur naturally, right? So I'm gonna use it the same way here, but what I'm gonna refer to synthetic is going to be the traffic that's going to my servers. You know, it's going to be, by all means, real traffic. It's just not gonna come from a real source. You know, I'm gonna produce this traffic. So I'll, I'll get into why we're talking about this in a little bit. Okay, so uh, I want this talk to be very meaningful to all of you, and the way to do that, I think, is to make it your problem. So. Uh, we're going to create a little corporation here, and you guys are all going to be, you know, members of my corporation, and you're all hired because, you know, you're smart people, you're here at reInvent, you're here at this talk, so based on that, you're all hired. So, um, you're all now members of the X Corp, okay? It's a global IT company, and, uh, you know, inside of the X Corp, we have really kind of like two thought leaders in the, in the group, you know, and uh, we'll just name them Mulder and Scully, you know, no relation to the TV show. <laughs> So, um, really, inside of the X-Corp, we are a very customer-obsessed company, right? Like, everything we do starts and ends with our customers, and we want to serve them the most. And so, both uh, Mulder and Scully here, they agree that they want to do everything within their power to serve their customers, 
But they don't always agree on exactly what that is. So first, we'll start with Scully. So Scully, um, she cares first and foremost about availability, right? Uh, she's cautious, and she wants to ensure that the sites are available, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many features you have if the sites aren't working, right? So uh, we're going to spend a lot of times here thinking about our operational posture, about what, uh, you know, is like an environment that we can create reliable releases into frequently and quickly. On the other hand here, we have uh, Mulder. He cares uh, more about feature delivery, right? He knows that in today's competitive landscape, that in order for companies to survive, they have to differentiate themselves from their competitors. So you have to constantly innovate on behalf of all your customers. So he's going to do this by the means of releasing features quickly and fast. Now, both strategies have um, you know, some challenges in their way, right? So first, uh, releasing globally. I mentioned we're the, a global IT company. So in the past, maybe we had one definition of prod. Now, that's not necessarily true anymore, especially if you're operating in all the AWS regions. So now you could have upwards of 16 definitions of prod. That prevents some new, or presents some new challenges. So I'm going to cover how to, uh, how to tackle that. The next is in our dependencies, right? Today, uh, I'm sure many of you have adopted microservices, or at least familiar with what that is. So the cool thing about that is that, you know, we don't have to have these you know, behemoth builds anymore that take for hours, and if they ever succeed and we can never actually get them out in production, you know, they're, they're pretty you know, static, right? They don't change too much. But with microservices, you know, we have constant change in our environment, and we have, have to have new strategies to handle that. So I'm going to cover that a little bit. Um, the next is live traffic. So, you know, in the past, maybe it was okay to put up a site down for a maintenance banner, right? But um, any of your customers uh, tolerate that, you know? Uh, mine don't, and uh, really, I don't even tolerate latency personally. So, you know, we need to be able to update our services while serving traffic without ever taking any downtime, right? So, we're configure specifically is going to talk about that. And last but not least, uh, quick recovery. Now, quick recovery isn't really a challenge as much as it is like a strategy, and it's kind of a cultural thing. So, as I'm talking about this, I'm really going to talk about like cultural changes you can do in your corporation here, so that um, you know. You, pra you practice uh, the mentality of rollback first, you know, kind of debug later and things like that to get to a known good state. So we're going to talk about that a little bit too. And we're going to see if we can't bring the best of ops and feature delivery into like one nice little package. Okay. So I'm going to start off with talking about treating infrastructure as code. All right. And this is really going to bring us to our first villain, which is subtle changes. So, you know, I kind of started this talk off by, you know, mentioning that we don't always think about deployments at the beginning of our projects, right? And we'll code and we'll develop with all kinds of like, you know, assumptions that don't necessarily hold true. And we gotta remember that context then when we actually go to deploy that out to where we want it to run. And then what happens is that, you know, your test environment or your prod, even worse, right, looks different than where it ran in the past. And so, uh, you know, we, we don't discover that until we get there, right? And so like, if that happens in prod, that's trouble, that's an outage. Um, and then as we expand regions and we add more stacks, uh, you know, throughout the world, the problem just gets bigger and bigger, right? And the good news is there's really uh, a really straightforward solution for this. It's called AWS CloudFormation. AWS CloudFormation allows you to uh, write all of your resources into a template file so that you can treat it as code. So the cool thing here is now that now we've, uh, you know, defined what a stack looks like, and then we can replay that stack over, over and over again to ensure that no subtle differences occur anywhere because it's all defined and deployed in the same way. So the key there, though, is to uh, don't build infrastructure, right, or don't build out your pipeline, you know, deploy it. And this is a pretty big difference, right, like where, you know, if you have a mentality of, like, I will go and manually apply these changes throughout here to building out, uh, you know, a pipeline 
where you would treat infrastructure the same way as code, just like you would deploy code. <clears throat> so I'm gonna deep dive a little bit into treating infrastructure as code, and I'm gonna start off with like looking at stacks a little deeper. So um, what I have here is, you know, well, maybe it's hard to read, but a little bit of things here. Describing, uh, you know, I used AWS CloudFormation's uh, template, or, you know, templates on, the, uh, on our console to create a Ruby on Rails multi-AZ stack here. So what you're looking at is all the resources that would make that run. It's the website, databases, the load balancers, et cetera. Uh, on the left side there, you can see a little sample of CloudFormation, right? So this is what this looks like. Uh, now, the, the change I would ensue in my corporation then, or my company, or my team, is now that I don't allow anyone to, to you know, define a resource and, and apply that change to, to dev, test, and prod, right? It has to go here in the stack. So this ensures that you know, there's no like, uh, context mixed anywhere. We're defining it all in code as we go. And then after we do that, then what we can do is deploy that uh, through code pipeline, just the same way as we would a code uh, change. So code pipeline here, I have a little, uh, you know, kind of stack here, it's, it, it you know, renders vertically, so I had to kind of like, you know, make it scale horizontally across the screen. But what you can see is uh, I define in AWS CloudFormation what my stack looks like. I can put that file then in S3 or in you know, code commit or one of these products and use that as the input source to my pipeline. And whenever that thing changes, now it'll kick off this release process. So then I'll take that code, or, you know, the, the um, template, I'll deploy it to a test environment, I can run some tests, or I can have, you know, make sure that the changes apply, and ensure that everything looks right before I promote it to the next uh, region, right? So you can see here I have dev test prod, and I would promote it that way. But I also introduced the talk a long time ago to say, um, you know, how many prods do we have, right? We don't have just one prod anymore. So what do I do now with, uh, you know, promoting my infrastructure, say, if I, you know, run in, you know, more than one region? Um, I'm gonna introduce uh, a relatively new feature of AWS CloudFormation called Stack Sets. Uh, if you haven't heard about it, uh, you know, take this uh, talk here as just like a surface level, you know, introduction to it, but go, I think we have a couple talks this week that are gonna go deeper into it. Go check one of those out that sounds interesting. But what CloudFormation does, uh, Stack Sets allows you to do is you can take a stack that you defined and then you can use those template files as an input to then say, I wanna deploy this cross region, cross accounts, it's pretty cool. Um, I'll kind of skip the card there. This is what you do when you uh, submit a CloudFormation stack set. So first we're gonna upload that template, right? After that we'll specify the accounts we wanna go to, and then we'll specify the regions. You can also change the regional order too to say that it can promote from you know, one region and then for you know, whatever reason you may want to, you'd go to the next region and then the next. Um, you also can specify deployment options to uh, you know, kind of indicate some type of like, um, different thresholds for, you know, like you can have thresholds for uh, failures. So, you know, if you hit below or above a certain one, you might want to stop, uh, roll back, for example. Uh, other things you can do is you can, in each region, you can have little overrides that say this thing, this resource is applied slightly different than another region, it allows you to do regional differences. And then when you're done, you deploy your stack. So that's cool. So once we did that, now we've defined all of our infrastructure. We have a pipeline that promotes it through. And then when we're finished, we can replicate that across regions. So we've created now all of our infrastructure for our code changes uh, in all the regions. So now that we have that really good uh, you know, release pipeline set up with all of our infrastructure, now we can start thinking about how will we then target our software to hit those end hosts. So much in the same way I introduced uh, the, the stack promotion for your infrastructure, we're gonna do the same thing with our code, right? So we'll, you've probably all seen this kind of slide before where we have our code promote through dev, test, prod. Uh, but again, I'm gonna go back to that first problem I presented, how many prods, right? Uh, there isn't one prod anymore. 
So you know, we have many prods, and if, if we go all out to all those prods at one time, what happens if there's a code change I didn't intend, right? It's a global impact, and you know, ideally we would never ever have that. So what I'd recommend is we regionally segment our release process, right? We treat each region like that low-level stack promotion. So rather than going dev test to all the prods, we'll go dev test to maybe um, you know, one region and then the next. Now, how you pick those regions ultimately is going to be up to you. Uh, if I have a code or a service, excuse me, that is you know, a relatively few uh, use cases where I know that my customers will exercise all of them, I might go to one of my smaller regions because I know pretty much that um, those use cases will be hit by my customers, right? Now, if I have a very complex service, you know, like, or that maybe operates in the user space, like a CLI or something like that in your SDK, where I really can't predict all the use cases, maybe in that case I'd actually want to go to one of the large regions because I really need uh, you know, a lot of use cases driven by customers in order to get, build that confidence up in what might change. Ultimately, the, the uh, answer is going to be up to you and your services use cases. But once we've picked that region, now we're going to go a little deeper into it. We're going to do something we call zonal segmentation. So zonal segmentation is now, we're gonna reduce that risk. So if you kind of go back, we know we're not gonna deploy to all 16 regions at one time now. We're just gonna deploy to one, right? So you can say that I've really reduced my blast radius if anything occurs. Um, sorry, blast radius, if I've introduced it, is like the amount of impact on an unintended change. So once I've now picked a region, I can even break that down further to say I can go to AZ by AZ. And I can separate or segregate my code changes to go to just one AZ before going to the next. Uh, we call it zonal segmentation. So now again, now I'm, not, I'm no longer gonna have a multi-region impact. Now by breaking down my one region, I can also limit uh, any chance of a full single region impact, right? And if that's not enough, we can go even a little bit deeper. And we can do server segmentation. So server segmentation is a strategy that we use all the time in, within the AWS. So server segmentation is where we pick out literally one server out of our fleet and we send the code change out to that server in production, let it take real live customer traffic, and once we've decided that that is a, a good change, it's a change that we intend to go out, then we'll then promote that to the multi-AZs, right? So now, if I have, you know, let's say 10 servers in, in you know, one of my regions, now I have, at the most, 10% impact. So we'll, we'll have that, uh, you know, that code change sit there, taking real live customer traffic for a period of time. The amount of time that that takes traffic is what we refer to as bake time and uh, then we'll promote that change as we build confidence. Excellent. Um, although there's a problem now. So if I repeat this process in every one of my regions, this is going to take a very, very long time for any of my code changes to get out. And I may have just traded one complexity for the other because you know, uh, slow isn't always safe. There's a lot of things changing, so I kind of want to get my code changes out there as quickly as possible and get that deployment finished, right? So what we're gonna have to start thinking about now is how to parallelize our release process. So we call this technique fanning out. So where I'll start maybe with that one box, maybe I'll just do that in a single region. And then maybe in that region I'll also go multi-AZ. But then after I've done that, I've gotten a pretty high level of confidence that what I've done is you know, a pretty good change, right? So rather than just going to the next region and repeating that process, what I'm gonna do then is I'm gonna fan out and maybe go to three more regions. And once those three regions will, uh, you know, go well, each one of those regions will kick off another three regions themselves. So now I've really compressed my uh, overall deployment time of any in particular code change to run in parallel. Okay, the last thing I'm gonna really touch on here is um, uh, something we're gonna call synthetic traffic. Uh, this also goes by a couple different names, but we'll leave it at this for today. So the thing about uh, failures is they don't often start with you, right? Like, uh, you know, you deploy your code change, everything looks good, 
but, um, but things change over time, right? And what was good at one point in time might not be good tomorrow. And this is the problem with upfront testing, is we validate our services at the time we're gonna release them, and we don't go back often to check to see that they're still running, right? And the last thing in the world that I want to do is have one of my customers tell me that your service isn't operating properly, right? So what I really need is some way to know when things change, you know, to know when uh, one of my, uh, you know, um, services I depend on release a change that they didn't exercise my use case, or, you know, when the nighttime security guard trips over a power line or something. I, I want to know about that, right? I don't want my customers to ever tell me about that. So um, we're gonna build up some different kind of monitoring systems to tell us about how our, you know, to tell us how healthy our services is. And you can use Amazon CloudWatch to do this. So in Amazon CloudWatch, what you really do is you write cloud, um, uh, CloudWatch logs, you emit CloudWatch metrics with your service, and then you establish monitors to tell you then when things uh, you know, look the way that you've told it, you don't want it to look. Um, we're gonna start off by just looking at system level metrics. You know, this is a really common thing that kind of applies to everyone across the board. You know, you know, monitor your services to make sure that, you know, your disk space isn't filling up, to make sure the CPU's healthy, that the RAM's not over, you know, overworked, uh, and all those kind of things. Now, the, ne the next things, and maybe even a little bit more meaningful, right, is the service level metrics. And I can't tell you what, what you should do here other than, you know, uh, look at your service and find out what your main use cases are. And always looking at the negative use cases isn't always necessarily a, you know, the right way to go. I could look at it on my failing request, right? Well, that's a pretty obvious failure mode that I want to know about. And maybe if that happens, and if I get more than you know, a certain amount uh, you know, failed request in a couple minutes, maybe I want to be you know, alerted to that. But I also really want to know that I'm serving good requests, too. I want to make sure that positive traffic's coming in. I want to make sure that I'm not swallowing exceptions and not, you know, not emitting uh, general exception faults, right? So I need to also make sure that I'm serving good requests. Now, the problem with that, though, if I set up my metrics to then look and monitor um, the positive case, right, I can't necessarily rely on my customers to produce that for me. Because if, say, I run a website in US East 1, or, or excuse me, in uh, Virginia, you know, like maybe if that's a, that's a very time-sensitive you know, you know, shopping website or something where I can't expect many users to be on at 3 a.m., right? So I can't create predictable call patterns then to observe, um, you know, at all hours of the day. So what am I going to do about that? Well, the solution is to create your own traffic, right? So synthetic traffic is basically it's your integration tests, right? We probably all run those at the end of our release pipeline before we get to production. Now, what I'm recommending here is that you continually run those. You don't just stop at the point uh, when you release your code, right? You, you create a constant traffic to your website, and this is gonna drive metrics throughout your service to ensure that um, you can always have observable call patterns. Um, after you've done that, it allows you to then set up thresholds that are interesting to you and your team. You can then build out you know, different systems throughout your team to alert the people that need to know so that in the event of any uh, unintended um, you know, change, that you can loop in the right people first and before your customers ever know about it. So this concludes the section one, talking about risk, uh, risk prevention. Uh, just cover really quickly what we've done here. We've talked about deploying our infrastructure uh, rather than building it. We've talked about promoting our software uh, through regions the same way we promote through stacks. We accelerated our deployment by using fan-out technologies, you know, processes. And last, we um, created observable call patterns so that we can alert our team in the event of any change that we didn't, uh, you know, start. So I'm gonna bring Kafir up on stage now, and he's gonna talk about uh, different features within Code Deploy and how to choose the right one for you.
Thank you, Steve. And uh, hello again, everyone. Thank you so much for uh, being with us here today. One of the things that we know about our uh, co-worker, Scully, is that she is fearless. She doesn't scare easy. There's only two things that have been known in the past to make her lose some sleep. The first one is, of course, aliens. And the second is a production deployment. And this is what we're going to focus on in this, uh, in this section. We'll see how to automate deployments while still maintaining zero downtime for the application. In the, previous, uh, in the previous section, we talked about building a safe release pipeline. And now we'll see how we can use co-deploy and deployment techniques in order to make production deployments, the, the last piece of the pipeline, the deployment itself, uh, a little less scary and uh, much, much safer. We'll also go through, uh, we'll spend significant amount of our time in this section to demo uh, co-deploy. We'll execute a real-life uh, real deployment and we'll see how we can choose and pick our, uh, the right configuration for our needs. But first, let's go back to Scully and Mulder here and try to think what, how they see production deployments. Mulder, on the one hand, he cares about deploying frequently. He wants, as soon as a code change is ready to go out to his customers, he wants them to uh, get on it, try it, and see it in production. Scully, on the other hand, she's a little more cautious. She's worried about introducing new bugs and especially about causing any type of downtime or an outage to the application. The one thing that they both agree on is that they want, deploy they want deployments to be effortless and as automated as possible. And we'll see how CodeDeploy can help them achieve those uh, three maybe different goals. The first question that we ask ourselves, and we hear that from a lot of our customers, this is a very co common question, is how to choose the right deployment technique for our needs. So we'll go through a couple of uh, deployment strategies. The first is in-place deployments, and the other is uh, blue-green deployments. And we'll see what's the pros and cons and, uh, of each one of them. And again, we'll demo one of them in CodeDeploy. Diving into in-place deployments. This is the uh, more traditional uh, methodology. It's a little more straightforward, but still takes some careful orchestration in order to get right. Let's go through the workflow. Assuming we have uh, an application or a service running on a fleet of instances, assuming those are EC2 instances or other servers, serving traffic behind the load balancer. Now, currently, version one of the application is, uh, is running on the fleet, and this is what customers are seeing. We have V2 ready to go, and before we update it on the instance, the first thing that we need to do is to take the instance offline from the load balancer and make sure that no production traffic is flowing to that instance at the uh, time of transition. Now it is safe to update from V1 to V2, and that update requires us maybe to do uh, uh, a number of steps in between. So we need to stop the application, install, start the application, validate the service on the instance, and we'll see how we can codify this uh, deployment script or deployment instructions in code deploy. But once we did that, and we have V2 running on the, on the instance, we know that it is now safe, it is now safe to bring uh, traffic back and start uh, having the 
register again the instance to the load balancer and having customers uh, using that, that instance. That process will continue iteratively across the fleet of instances until uh, all of them are updated to V2. Now it's important to understand that at no point the application is experiencing any downtime and we have the choice how to balance between uh, fast rollout, which means that we take many instances offline and update, update them in parallel, or we can do it as slow as uh, one at a time in order to achieve higher availability and lower risk. This is something that we, uh, we can choose according to our use case. Now this is great, it works, but our friend Mulder here, we know that he's a believer, right? And he's looking up to the cloud, pun intended, and he knows that there's, there must be a better way, or better say, another way. <laughs> and, he's, and he's right. The, uh, the rise of cloud services such as EC2 and others made it so much easier, uh, available, and flexible to introduce new capacity to our fleet and uh, use it for our deployments and for our application. This allows, uh, allows us to implement blue-green deployments, or the other name, uh, immutable deployment, and we see that uh, becoming a reality in many organizations today. So let's go through the workflow of blue-green deployments and see how it works. In blue-green deployments, as opposed to in-place deployments, the first step of the deployment is to introduce the new capacity, to provision it in our uh, account or in a different account, but introduce a whole new capacity. And as you can see, there is no traffic flowing to that capacity at this point, to that infrastructure. V2 is, is installed, but right now no customer can see it. Once we have enough confidence that this new fleet, or let's call it the green fleet from now on, is, uh, is up and running, we can start routing production traffic or customer traffic to that fleet. This process, again, sorry, the next step, which I forgot, is obviously to take offline uh, the old fleet or the blue instances. This process will, again, repeat iteratively. We can control the speed. We can uh, choose the balance between faster or safer and more available. And once this is done, all the traffic will flow to the green fleet and customers uh, will be served by uh, V2 of the application. Now, it looks like orchestrating blue-green deployments is a little more complex than uh, in-place deployments. We need to get a lot of moving parts right. We need to make sure that the whole process is uh, flowing and we don't want to do anything manually, right? We want to automate it. So before we dive into ways to automate it, let's talk about why even bother? Why even considering blue-green deployments for our needs? And we can talk about main, uh, three main benefits for blue-green or immutable deployments. The first one is that the risk of a configuration drift on the instances is significantly reduced. Now all the instances are fresh and uh, they didn't have time to, be, to drift their configuration, which may uh, cause issues in the new version of the application. The next big benefit, and this one's really interesting, is that now we can test uh, the application or the new version closer to production, or better say, in production, because 
unlike in-place deployments, immutable deployments allows us to test the actual production fleet versus a staging fleet or a test fleet before routing uh, customer or production traffic to it. So we can do it using either a test ELB or other means, but we can test the actual fleet before uh, have it serve customer traffic. And the last but not least benefit is that rollbacks are now much safer and much faster. And let's dive a little bit into rollbacks and see how they work. Assuming we want to roll back for any reason, the first thing that we'll do is that we reintroduce the blue instances or the old fleet back to the load balancer, have it start uh, take customer traffic, and then remove the, the green the green instances or V2 of the application. This is essentially a rollback as, uh, as you can see, there's no software installation involved, there's no infrastructure provisioning involved. It's as, it is basically rerouting traffic from one set of instances to another. This makes it much safer and much faster than uh, rolling back in, in place in the fleet. So Scully is impressed, and if she is impressed, I think it's time to show how blue-green deployments might work in co-deploy. So we set up a little demo. Let's see if I can switch to the demo. All right. What we're looking at right now is the main screen uh, in co-deploy. And we see a list of applications. This is the application that uh, we care about. This is our application for today. Let's go and quickly see what we're deploying. We're deploying a very sophisticated website that say, uh, says Hyder Xcore. And uh, as you can see, the background is cleverly colored blue. Our designers decided that it's not the right color and uh, maybe they want to change it. So we'll go through the, the, the change right now and see how we deploy it uh, to production. The first thing that I'll do is I'll execute a deployment because it may take a few minutes to, to complete. And while the deployment is running, I'll go through some of the concepts and the configurations in code deploy. Let's just see that uh, the deployment started. Wonderful. Okay, so back to the uh, back to the application screen. Maybe I can make it a little. The people in the back see okay. All right. <clears throat> the first concept that that. I'm going to introduce in CodeDeploy is the concept of a deployment group. So under an application, I can, uh, I can have multiple deployment groups. In this case, I have a staging deployment group and a production deployment group. This allows us to model the stacks or environments in a way that allows repeatable and reliable deployments using the exact same instructions and maybe using uh, different configurations that will change the, uh, how fast deployments go or uh, maybe we want to be safer in production and faster in staging. Uh, 
So that, that concept of deployment group allows us to do just that. Now, another interesting concept that helps us uh, implement and automate deployments in CoDeploy is the concept of a lifecycle hook. And as you can see, there's a list of events that are going to happen on each instance in the group as the deployment is going. So CoDeploy will run through all those events, and all the events that are colored blue are ones that we can have a user-provided script to run on the instance during that event. And how do we, now the question is how do we codify that? So I'm jumping into a codeploy AppSpec file. This is a YAML file, it's a deployment template that allows us to codify instructions for codeploy to run through uh, during the deployment. It's a very simple configuration file that basically tells codeploy at this point in time or at this uh, lifecycle hook, execute this script. So it allows us to stop the application, to validate them, to do health checks, uh, and do basically anything that we think is, is the right thing to do as part of the deployment to the instance. Let's go back to our deployment and see how it progresses. We still have a, probably a minute to talk. So we talked about uh, lifecycle hooks and how we can define them using an app spec. Now I wanna show you a little bit about what is a deployment group. And we'll go through the configuration because I think it's important to understand what we can do as part of the, or what, can, what we can define as part of the deployment group in order to make sure that we uh, codify and maintain the right, uh, the right configurations and the right settings across the environment. So this is a blue-green deployment group. What Codeploy will do here, this is pretty cool, it will take the auto-scaling group that is running the application, it will create a complete copy, including all the instances and all the uh, launch configurations for the group and uh, everything that is defined in the group. It will create this copy. Once this copy is created, it will install the new version. And once this is done, it will start routing traffic uh, to the, new to, the new, to the new group. We have a, a way to define the load balancer that we're doing this behind, and we have a way to define other configurations like if we want the traffic to flow immediately to that new group, or we wanna wait and see and test it before. So maybe in staging, we wanna uh, immediately reroute the traffic, maybe in production, we wanna uh, wait and test it before. All right. The other thing that we can define is uh, we can tell CoDeploy if we want to terminate the blue fleet or the old fleet after the deployment is done, or we want to wait and keep it for the uh, chance that we need to roll back or debug anything or um, for other reasons. So we want, we want to, we sometimes want to make sure that the fleet is still there for at least a few hours or a day or. Uh, some amount of time, and we want to make sure that uh, CoDeploy allows that. Okay, cool. We reached to the point where uh, step one is done. I'm going to hit reroute traffic now because I configured my deployment group to not start 
the traffic rerouting immediately, I want to give the act that, hey, I'm ready to start rerouting traffic. So I'm going to do it now. And of course, it doesn't have to be in the console. I can use an API or CLI to do it, or any type of automation. <coughs> Excuse me. So if we look at the deployment dashboard, we see that step one is complete, which means that we now have a new autoscaling group. If I went to the autoscaling group or the EC2 console, I would see three new instances behind the autoscaling group. I have the V2 of the application already installed on those instances using the instructions that I codified in the codeploy app spec before. And now what is happening is that codeploy is rerouting traffic from the old instances to the new ones. And if you look at the right-hand side, you'll see that the original fleet or the original instances, all of them are still serving customers' traffic. So if I go to the application right now, I see that it is still running. Everything is still working, but most of it, most of the requests are being served by V1 right now. Now, gradually, I'm seeing that uh, green instances are being introduced to the, to the fleet behind the load balancer, and they will start taking traffic. They will start taking uh, uh, customers' traffic. So we see that uh, it's going from one to two, and, and Codeploy can handle a much larger scale than that. I just wanted the deployment to, uh, to go faster. All right, so now all the new instances, all the green instances are serving traffic behind the load balancer. And at that point, once this is done, Codeploy will take, uh, will deregister all the other instances and we'll see the uh, original box drains, uh, drains out and not serving any more traffic. We'll see that in probably just, just a minute. If we look at the, uh, at the rest of the dashboard, you'll see now that instead of three instances in the list down below, we have six instances. Some of them are part of the replacement environment and some of them are part of the original environment because uh, Codeploy at this point spun up three new instances and uh, have not terminated the other ones yet. Now again, I set up my, uh, my deployment group to not terminate before I tell it to terminate. So now I'm gonna hit terminate and uh, Codeploy will go in the background and terminate the old instances. The deployment is done. Seems like it was successful. Let's see that we, oh, we actually deployed the right, uh, the right version. It's working fine. Surprisingly, the, the background is now green. Who, who would have thought? Let's go back. Where did I put the clicker? Okay. All right. So that was a blue-green deployment in Codeploy. There's a lot more to say about Codeploy in that sense, and I encourage you all to uh, take a look at Codeploy and how to use it to automate deployments as part of a pipeline, as part of cloud formation, uh, standing up stacks, and other, uh, other use cases. Now, I think we're, uh, we're pretty sure that blue-green deployments are, are quite cool, and uh, maybe we want to use them. But what are, the, what are some of the pros of in-place deployments? What are some of the reasons that maybe we want to choose in-place deployments anyway? And the first reason is if the time to deploy a change 
is really critical for us. We want to get a hotfix out there as fast as possible. You probably noticed in the demo that step one of standing up the, the capacity, the infrastructure, takes a little time. This is just by the nature of standing up new EC2 instances and auto scaling group. And uh, this, this part may introduce overhead in terms of uh, the time to deploy that we want to avoid in some cases. So have that in mind. And the other reason is if the instances carry a lot of state that will be really hard or complicated to copy to the new green instances, that may be another uh, reason to, to be cautious about blue-green deployments and uh, use in-place deployments anyway. But overall, Mulder um, is right. We'd be crazy not to at least consider blue-green deployments for our application if the use case allows it uh, and if it works for our needs. Shifting gears a little bit, we talked about how to choose the right deployment technique and we demoed uh, one technique. But what if something happened? What if, uh, what if something happened during the deployment and it didn't go well? What if we pushed bad code to production and we, wanna, uh, we want to recover somehow? So we want to believe that not all is lost, right? And luckily we have uh, Scully, she had our back and she implemented a concept that is called alarm-based auto rollbacks. Now, this complicated name is, uh, is basically meaning a very simple concept. And the concept is that we follow some metrics of the application. It could be any type of metric that uh, Steve was talking about before. It could be the CPU usage, the memory usage, uh, 400s, 500s, number of healthy hosts behind the load balancer. It could be basically any metric that tells us that the application is healthy. Now, we don't only monitor those metrics, we also set a threshold that we know that if this threshold is crossed, we wanna make sure we know that, hey, something's wrong, we wanna go back to safety, we wanna go back to the previous version. So as soon as the threshold is, is crossed, we want, we want some uh, tooling in our uh, deployment tooling to monitor those alarms and automatically roll back. We, want, we don't want anyone or to manually interfere in this process because we want to roll back first and ask questions later in order to minimize the impact on our customers as much as we can and recover as fast as we can. So let's go back to co-deploy for just a second. I'm not gonna run another deployment I'm, not, I'm just gonna show how we can use uh, a couple of uh, AWS services in order to achieve this uh, automatic rollbacks based on alarms. So I created a very simple alarm here that tells me that uh, the number of instances, tell me, tells me the number of healthy instances behind the load balancer. And I set a threshold to three, right? If at any point this number of healthy instances will go below three, this alarm will go off. And as this alarm will go off, my deployment group in CodeDeploy will catch this alarm and automatically roll back the deployment. Uh, 
So now there's no one, uh, there's no person in the process. We have an alarm set up in CloudWatch Alarms. We have a threshold that we decided on. And as soon as this alarm is going off during the deployment, CloudDeploy will catch it and roll back uh, to the previous version. And CloudDeploy is authoritative to know which, uh, which is the last successful revision uh, to roll back to. So this is pretty cool. Uh, we now have a way to implement the concept of uh, alarm-based rollbacks. And we can move on to another, uh, to another challenge that we see oftentimes in our applications. And this is how to deal with a dynamic fleet. And what do I mean by dynamic fleet? Sometimes it's okay to have a certain uh, amount of infrastructure and capacity for our application. But at some point in time, we need to introduce new capacity. And that new capacity can, can be introduced in many ways, either automatically using an auto-scaling group, or we can do it by deploying uh, cloud formation with updated number of instances, etc. But once this capacity is introduced, the challenge is how to get the application, the right version of the application, using the right deployment instructions that we always use, in a very reliable and safe way to the, to the new capacity, to the new instances. And on top of all that, we wanna make sure that it's completely automated because I don't wanna uh, get a page every time that a new instance is being introduced to the fleet, so I need to uh, kick off a deployment and, and make sure it's working, right? <clears throat> so let's talk about the positive. Uh, there's many reasons we might need to add capacity uh, to the application or add infrastructure. The most awesome reason is that customers simply love the, the service. They love the application and they come. It's becoming popular. The traffic is surging, right? In that case, we can have a service like Autoscaling Group to catch this uh, traffic surge and immediately, automatically, without us need, need to interfere, introduce new capacity. This new capacity, as we said before, is not running any application. It's a fresh new EC2 instance. The missing link here, or the challenge that we talked about before, can be filled by uh, a service like CoDeploy. CoDeploy will track the group of instances, and as soon as a new instance is being added to that group, CodeDeploy will get a signal from auto-scaling group, hey, there's a, new, there's a new capacity, tell us what to do, or do whatever you need, and then tell us that you're done, right? And CodeDeploy will uh, take the signal, go back to the last successful revision or the last successful deployment, execute that deployment using the exact same instructions as before that we codified in the AppSpec YAML file, if you remember. So, and once this deployment is done to that new capacity, it will tell other scaling group that, hey, good to go. We can start uh, serving traffic. We can add this new capacity to the load balancer and have it serve our customers. Many of, the, of our customers think that uh, this process is quite magical. And the reason it is is because now we can completely automate and forget about uh, during deployment as part of scaling up 
new capacity and new infrastructure. And this really takes the, the effort away from dealing with dynamic, dynamic fleets. So this concludes our session for today. Let's go quickly about, uh, over what we learned. So we started by talking about reducing the blast radi radius or the impact of a change to our customers by introducing changes slowly. And slowly can mean different things. Regional segmentation, zonal segmentation, one box, etc. Then we talked about driving the application and the control plane with synthetic traffic because we want to make sure that uh, as many use cases as possible are being covered quickly after the deployment is done and continuously over time. And we don't, we can always rely on our customers to execute all the use cases uh, quick enough. Then we talked about using uh, synthetic traffic in order to uh, automatically roll back. Actually synthetic traffic and real world traffic. So in that case, we can have our metrics monitor both uh, synthetic and real world traffic. And once a threshold is being crossed, we want to automatically roll back. And we showed how to use uh, a couple of AWS services in order to achieve this automation in, in real life. We talked about the advantages of a blue-green deployment, as well as uh, some of the advantages of in-place deployment. And uh, I think we saw that if we can, and if it fits our needs, we might want to consider blue-green deployments. And as, uh, as complicated as it seems to automate, there's tooling in uh, AWS that may help us do it in, a, in an effortless way. And lastly, we talked about how to automate, uh, how to react in an automated way to scale up events in order to make sure that uh, running a dynamic fleet is not becoming a huge headache for us. Thank you so much for being with us today. We have a few more minutes to take questions. So Steve and I will take questions together. And uh, if we don't have time for this later, I want to thank you all for being with us today. We are eager to hear your feedback, both on the talk and on Codeploy. Now, uh, or anytime in the future, we use the feedback to improve, we use the feedback to deliver new features and new capabilities that uh, are helpful for you. So feel free to reach out to us either now in the hallway or anytime in the future. And now we can take questions. Thank you very much. Can you use code deploy to deploy mixed? types of services, for example, an Aurora database with a, a web stack in front of it? So Codeploy is completely agnostic to the application that is being deployed. The only requirement from Codeploy is to package or bundle your application in one zip or tarball and add the appspec.yaml file to the top level of the zip. And then that's it. Codeploy will just execute uh, whatever the instruction the AppSpec file tells it on the instance. So in, the, in terms of the application type, Codeploy is completely agnostic. You could do uh, multiple applications in one deployment. You could separate them. You can model them using the uh, Codeploy modeling to separate applications, separate deployment groups, et cetera. But I think the direct answer to your question is that Codeploy is agnostic to the application type. Was that what you? Yeah, was your question, can you like group multiple deployments and send them out in batches? No. Yeah. 
So the answer is no, you cannot coordinate multiple deployments to go out at the same time, unless, like Afir mentioned, they're bundled in a single deployment bundle. Exactly. If they, if they are bundled together and defined in the same YAML file, then the answer is yes. If you want two YAML files or two bundles to go together in a coordinated way, then those are two deployments that go in parallel, then the answer is no. It's not possible. You could. So in the, uh, in the YAML itself, and I'm happy to show you afterward, you, you can specify anything from the bundle to install on the, on the instance. So as long as everything, from the, everything that you want to install from the bundle is going to the same EC2 instance, the answer is yes. But again, if you want to do it in two separate deployments and monitor them separately but do it in parallel, then it's not supported right now. Happy to show you later how to implement it. Um, you mentioned uh, the introduction of synthetic data in general or synthetic traffic. Uh, how do you filter this traffic from appearing in the monitoring and then getting alerted upon? We don't filter. We want to get alerted on it. That's, that's the idea. Um, the, the synthetic traffic is to drive like, our metrics to let, the, let us know that the service is performing the way we want it to perform. And you know, things, things that occur, like say I depend on someone else's service and they, they, they deploy and their use case didn't consider what I was using it for and they regressed me somehow, like I immediately want to know that that regressed. I don't, I don't want you know, customers to know. Now if you're trying to get like business metrics and things like that, you may need a different approach if you want to filter out like your accounts and, and we do do that actually. It's a separate process that we, we do that. But uh, for the monitors though, like I, uh, there's no good reason for me to differentiate between real and synthetic traffic. No, but for the alerts, how do you filter that out from alerts? Because suddenly it gets noisy. If you get an email every time someone deploys because uh, the synthetic data is just throwing out failures because that's what it does. I mean, that would ha if it happened to the synthetic uh, traffic, it would happen to my customer. So I don't want to throw those emails out. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. I yeah. have uh, other question if uh, that's possible. Uh, uh, yeah. Let's, let's switch <laughs> uh, I was interested in uh, hearing about the automatic deployment as part of the scale-up uh, using the uh, code deploy. Would that work with the Docker and containers? Um, we have a server that basically has about four containers. We're running four containers. One of them, our application, the others are different ones but they all work together. So would that work with deploying containers or running containers in one? Are you running containers on EC2 hosts? Yes. Yeah. That, I mean, I don't know if yeah. you want to say something, but so you can bundle that as your deployment bundle. So it depends. If, if, you, if you can run it, uh, if you can bundle your containers as part of the uh, deployment bundle as a, and as part of the uh, AppSpec YAML file, mm -hmm. then yes, it will happen in the same, the same way. But just a disclaimer, if you use uh, any uh, container orchestration system like ECS or other, then uh, Codeploy is not uh, integrated with those uh, at this point. Thanks. You had mentioned and caveated the blue-green deployment um, with stateful type of applications. Um, if you're dealing with an application that is intimately tied into a database or some some aspect of a data store and your code is being changed such that the schema is being modified in a breaking way um, and then you pick up operational traffic and you go back through your rollback for whatever reason what are some of the strategies how do you how have you dealt with that I mean you know 
Yeah. So do you want to take it? Sure. Uh, I mean, the short answer is you, if, if you're modifying the schema where um, you know, there's a period of time where traffic needs to, basically your change has to be backwards compatible. Yeah. Is kind of the short answer there. Okay. Um, your service change could include both V1 and V2 essentially to support that schema. You let that, that traffic die off and then you put up another change basically that kills off the old, the old version. It's, it's kind of the short answer of that. Are you moving the whole database into the, the V2 deployments when you're standing up the stack of new? Uh, so if you had like a stored procedure, for example, something okay. like that, that took an additional parameter. Okay. Um, you know, your V1 and your old stored procedure would have to live on for a period of time while you move your upstream services to support that new version. So, but you, you know, are physically standing up another database in a new environment and oh, replicating well, it, the it data. It depends. I think, I think there's two layers to the, to the answer here. One is, do you actually do blue-green for the data? No. Uh, and yeah. it's possible. Mm -hmm. And this is the way you update your schema, right? That, this is one uh, topic that was actually almost made it to the, to the talk, <laughs> but uh, we trimmed it okay. the last minute, but th those uh, methodologies and, and strategies how to update the data. Now, another layer to, uh, to your question, I feel, is if you just want, as part of the deployment, to update the schema in an existing database, mm -hmm. that's exactly uh, the use case of the user-provided scripts in the app spec mm -hmm. file. And we see a lot of customers just as part of the deployment, one of the scripts that they run is a script that goes to the data, to the database, mm -hmm. does all the updates, uh, make sure the schema is right, and then goes back to codeploy and say, okay, this is done, move on to the next life cycle event, okay. and uh, continue with the deployment. So this is a very useful way uh, to use the app spec okay. uh, script. Okay, thanks. So we'll, we'll take one more question here, and then we'll move off to the side of the room over here if anybody wants yeah. to come. And also, I'll, I'll mention that I'll be at the uh, DevTools booth from 4 to 7 tonight if anybody wants to stop by with other questions there. But let's take one more. Uh, actually, mine is a longer question, so I'll hand it over to him, and I'll just come around to you guys. Okay. Uh, he stepped away, so if you want to. Oh, he stepped away. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> All right. Um, so we're big fans of, of blue-green deployments. Um, but I'm kind of having a hard time understanding how you would implement CloudFormation uh, doing a, doing a blue-green deployment. Yeah. It, it, presently, CloudFormation and blue-green, uh, CloudFormation doesn't support blue-green presently. We, we hear that as a customer request, and you know, it's something we're tracking as a future request. Um, is there a way, would you recommend not including the autoscaling group as part of a, a stack? So if you're not including the autoscaling group, you can implement it, but otherwise, I think you've noticed that if Codeploy is creating a new autoscaling group out of band from the mm -hmm. stack, that's going to uh, interfere with the tracking that CloudFormation is doing mm -hmm. to the stack. Uh, so we do have customers using BlueGreen, and they stand up all the pipeline, including Codeploy, including everything, uh, using CloudFormation, but they're not uh, mm. including the autoscaling group. We don't think that this is necessarily the, the recommended way, but uh, it is possible to do. And we can talk about it more. Uh, yeah, we can talk about it. My question is exactly the same, but Okay. So well, we'll meet anybody else over here at the side just uh, you know, for the last few minutes. Thank you. Thank you all for coming. Thank you, all, everyone. Yeah.